0: Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, My name is Joe Hess, and I am the Karen Connections pastor here. I've been away a little while. If you're new to us, um, it's great to have you. It's great to be back here. Uh, This is home, and it feels like home, and it's so good to be at home. And I'm going to jump into um, a text this morning that is sort of a lifeline for me, maybe for you as well. We often share it at Celebration of Life stories, and in some way, we celebrate life this morning in a big way. So um, let me share this with you. It's Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Um, It's great to be back with you folks. I'm going to jump into some stories, uh, and I'll share. uh, We were on a little bit of a break. I'll share more about what that break was like and and all of that in a little bit. Um, But let me jump into um, one of my first stories. Where are you? North or south of the clam beds? That was the question the man on the phone asked Cindy, my wife. With a sense of focus and calmness, he asked, Where are you? North or south of the clam beds? We were in San Diego visiting our daughter. This was Monday, July 5th. We had gotten up early and drove to La Jolla. It's just north of San Diego. It's right on the Pacific Ocean, very dramatic. These cliffs go right down to the Pacific. Um, there are seals and sea lions that like to hang out there on the, on the rocks and the cliffs. And also, the, there's crazy stuff that people do in, in Southern California surfing these huge waves and, and swimming the mile or, or so across uh, and back and across the, the cove there, scuba diving. And that's when we came upon this situation, this urgent situation. We were walking back to a car when we saw these teenage boys jumping off one of the cliffs, jumping off the cliffs right into the ocean, straight down, jumping off. And there are signs warning folks not to do this, to stay back. The, the cliffs are unstable. The soils are unstable. There's dangerous currents underneath. But these boys were doing it. And they looked like they were having a blast until it wasn't. Um, one boy, a young man, he, he had jumped off and he wasn't able to get back up on the rocks And he was being swept up into the current and the waves. And he was being smashed up against the rocks in this little cove. And he couldn't get out. And Cindy, uh, my wife, calls down to him, do you need help? And he yells back, yes, I need a lifeguard. And Cindy dials 911. And she gets the 911 operator. And Cindy explains that there's a guy that jumped off the cliffs in La Jolla and he's in trouble. And the operator transfers Cindy to the La Jolla lifeguard station. That's when the man on the phone asks, where are you? north or south of the clam beds. Sir, we're from out of town. I don't know where the clam beds are. We're opposite this store. And Cindy names the store across the street, right near the La Jolla Caves. Okay, he says, stay on the line. We know where you are. We're heading your way. And I yelled down to him, help is coming. And he gives me a thumbs up. That was my big part of this rescue as he continued to struggle. And the waves kept smashing him up against the rocks. And as I yelled down to him, help is coming, what I really wanted to say, it's going to be okay. My wife is here. She's a mom. She knows how to do stuff. She gets stuff done. I'm just a pastor. I'll pray for you. But man, you need help. I believe sometimes the toughest thing for us to do, for me to do, is to ask for help. This kid's on the rocks. I'm thinking him too. Until he is desperate, until we're, we're all desperate, it's really hard for most of us me to ask for help, or to acknowledge we're struggling emotionally, physically, or spiritually. We're getting smashed up against the rocks by the waves, bleeding on the inside, and all we want to do is tell the world, we're okay, I'm okay. Two biggest lies we tell at church, I'll pray for you, and I'm fine. For folks who are new around here, this is my first Sunday back to church after a six week sabbatical. And I thank you, church. I thank the leaders of our church for giving me this gift giving this gift to me that time off. I pretty much took off the the summer. From the end of VBS Vacation Bible school, the last week of June, all of July through the first week of August, I stepped away from my job here at church. I turned off my computer. I turned off my phone. I still haven't turned my computer on and that's a that's another issue. Turned off my phone. I didn't watch our stuff online. I needed a break because I was broken. And I needed help in desperate need of a lifeguard. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These words became a mantra for me during my sabbatical, Neosporin for my soul. And maybe you need, need to hear these words today as well. These words were reminders of my need for Jesus, to yoke with him, to connect with him, and not just in some churchy, mountaintop, retreat-type experience, but in life, in the struggles, and in the grief, in the grace, and in the blessings, in all the ups and downs, and the challenges of being human. I had a couple, three goals for my sabbatical, earthy goals um, I had I had other spiritual goals and other goals too, but these earthy goals were important too. Number one, I wanted to learn how to juggle. Number two, I wanted to learn how to play Mark Cohen's song "Walking in Memphis" on the piano. And number three, I wanted to lose ten pounds. And can I say, on all three fronts, I'm still a work in process. Maybe we're all a work in process. Back right before Easter, I was struggling. And I knew I was. I was being short with folks. I was tired and cranky here at church sometimes, but all the time at home. And one day, I just lost it here at church. I threw up on Pastor Ike, not literally, but emotionally. And maybe some of you have been there. You bottle stuff up on on the inside. You push it down. You don't deal with it. Eventually, it's going to come to the surface. It's going to erupt like a volcano. And after I threw up On Ike, And he's dripping with my stuff. He caringly asked me if I wanted to talk about it right then. I said I couldn't. I was so far gone at the time. I said, let's wait until after Easter. This was Easter week. This was the Monday of Easter week. It's going to be a crazy week here at church. And we're coming back live for the first time in forever on Easter morning with an outdoor service told Ike, let's talk after Easter. He was going to take some time off after Easter. I was going to take some time right after he took time off. Let's meet after we've had some time to rest up. Ike goes on vacation. He comes back. Cindy and I go visit my dad in Florida. I remember going to the beach and just wanting to sleep. I was like this worn out wash rag, uh, trying to empty myself of the fatigue, and I just couldn't wring it out enough. I couldn't wring out the tired enough. I couldn't get rid of the tired. I couldn't do it. After both our vacations, Ike and I went to lunch at Nieders over in Highlands Ranch, and I told them I was was burned out. I had nothing left in the tank and that I had been considering quitting, retiring, really. I'm 63. I know I look like I'm 23, but my body reminds me I'm not 23 anymore. I was just wore out. I shared my struggles with a couple of close friends and a mentor of mine, and they encouraged me to take a break, take a sabbatical. Ask for a sabbatical, some intentional time off to recharge and regroup. Ike, oh God bless Ike, he said he understood and that he would go to the church leadership and support a sabbatical. It's hard for me, even now, to express to you how hard it was to go to Ike and share with him I was broken. I was trained up in the engineering, construction, business world, never let them see you sweat, fake it till you make it, don't show weakness. What will people think? Voices in my head, you're a failure. You're supposed to be a leader. You got nothing. You ain't a leader. You are a loser. Maybe you've had some of those voices too. And I can tell you this, they are not from God. They are not the voice of Jesus. Quick interlude, I I have loved the Olympics this past summer. The stories, the athletes, they want to make me be a better person. They have also made me want to get in better shape. One story I loved was one of the US women's uh, vo- beach volleyball teams. The commentator shared this story that these guys would these gals would pray together before their matches. And they all got these necklaces that said, "I am enough." Reminding them in and through God, "I am enough," that they were bought and paid for by the creator of it all. "I am enough." And man, right now, if life is kicking kicking the snot out of you or a loved one of yours, I want to remind you, you are enough. Remind them, too, they are enough. And if I have one takeaway from the sabbatical uh, is, I am enough, I throw all the other tapes away. The text, the scripture says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. One more Olympic story. Simone Biles, the great gymnast, greatest of all time, the GOAT, if you will, telling the world after the Olympic preliminaries, I've got to take a break. Sharing with the world that she couldn't do what she had done for so long. And I loved what someone wrote about her after that, about how Simone was a hero to us all, not because she was a superstar gymnast, but she was a hero to us all in how she showed us that she was human, what it meant to be human. Back to my story, north or south of the clam beds? The man on the phone asked Cindy. A reference he knew, and maybe one that everyone who's lived in La Jolla for any bit of time knows. Shoot, everybody knows where the clam beds are, right? When Cindy shared with him she was not from here, he could have just said it louder. North or south of the clam beds, lady? Or slower, or with an attitude, come on now, north or south, what is it? The reference points we use The language we use to out-of-towners, to the folks that didn't grow up around here, the words we use to the outsider, they are important, aren't they? North or south of the clam beds. Here at church, we can lose folks pretty quickly that are new to the faith or new to this place or trying to figure out how does any of this stuff really apply to me when we throw around churchy words or thoughts or references that don't mean anything to them north or south of the clam beds. In our travels during sabbatical, the gift we had, we, we got to visit churches from around the country, some small, some big, the ones that seemed to be most alive. They were not watering down the gospel or dumbing it down. They were bringing it and loving folks where they were and using language, carefully crafted language, real language that was accessible. North or south of the clam beds? Okay, that doesn't work. Help me here. What's your starting point? And then reacting to that. How are we here at church or at home or at work? How are we over and over again saying north or south of the clam beds? What's some of our insider language that folks who get airdropped into our place, into our lives, into our circle, they have no clue what we're talking about. How is God possibly calling us to change our language to change our reference points so that the gospel can t- penetrate some more hearts. Cindy and I have shared this north or south of the climate story with some, some family and friends. And Cindy keeps reminding me, don't forget the sea lion, this kid that was in trouble. This, um, that was getting smashed up against the rocks. They keep forgetting to share this part. As he's trying to scramble up on these rocks and the waves keep knocking him down. The currents and the waves are taking him into this tight little cove. And up on the rocks, a little ways from the water's edge in the cove is this sea lion, this huge sea lion. And, and not a friendly seal, but a sea lion That doesn't seem to want this guy who's being washed up on the rocks. He doesn't seem to want him near him. And this sea lion, he looks like it eats people. 300 pounds plus of stuff with teeth and bad fish breath, I'm sure. He starts sea lion barking at this kid. And this kid literally caught between a rock and a hard place. The rocks and the waves and this sea lion that looks like it wants to eat him. It just kept going from bad to worse for this kid. I know I wear my emotions on my sleeve. Um, some of you might do the same. There's a generation or two, my kids' generation, that wears their emotions sometimes on their skin. The tattoos tell part of their story. Cindy and I went to breakfast one morning here in town, um, and our server had this tattoo on the inside of our arm, and I asked her about it. I had seen part of it was a cross, and she said it was in Spanish, and it said, this too shall pass. This too shall pass. And we asked her if there was a story to that. There's always a story. Everyone has a story. This too shall pass. She said it was about life, stuff, you know. Yes, we know. Later on, she came back. And we could tell she had been thinking about the question. Maybe these folks care. She came back and shared with us, I got it when I had my heart broken. Oh, that kind of stuff. I don't remember our server's name, but I remember her story. This too shall pass. Do you know what those words were to her? Every time she looked at her arm, those words reminded her of her her situation would change. They were words of hope. We all need that, don't we? When I yelled down to our friend getting smashed up against the rocks that help was coming, that was future hope as he was wrestled against the waves and the rocks and this angry sea lion. Just one more thought on the, on the server story and her tattoo and her sharing that she got it when her heart was broken. At first, she shrugged it off. It's just, it's just life stuff. And she could have left it there, but she didn't. She went a step further and shared with us honestly and vulnerably that she got it when her heart was broken. I'm guessing by a stupid boy, probably one that liked jumping off of cliffs. Why do we hesitate so to be honest and vulnerable with each other? I'm fine. I'm fine. Instead of being honest. It's a complicated complicated answer. Past hurts. Past trust violated. A host of reasons, right? Abandonment. A friend who was getting smashed against the rocks, notice he goes from stupid kid to friend now. We've entered into the story. There's a relationship now, Cindy Cindy, um, more than me, but I'm in it too. And I'm pretty sure before this kid, this, this friend knew he was in trouble, real trouble. He's thinking, I got this, I got this, I can do this, but he didn't. When we called down to him and, and asked him if he needed help, he was hurting and going to continue to get hurt. And even if, even if he could get up on the rocks, he was going to be stuck there. The cliffs were so steep, and the sea lion was never going to be, be a BFF, best friend, forever. Sometimes we ask for help, and it's too late. The help maybe comes, but it's too late. My struggle with burnout before I went on sabbatical, man, it was at a critical stage, and no one here really knew. Maybe Mona, my assistant, maybe she knew. I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. A little tired maybe, but I'm okay. But I wasn't. When we saw this kid struggling and he shouted up to us, he needed a lifeguard. There was a real sense of urgency. This kid's life is on the line. And we're watching this story unfold from the sidewalk. We're maybe 30 feet above where where this is happening. And we can see the waves breaking over this kid. And each time a wave comes in, it's knocking him into these rocks. And they're slippery and there's a force of the waves. And he's struggling and hurting and continuing to get hurt and beat up. There was a real sense of urgency. we got to act and we got to act now. I wanted to yell down, or maybe some folks wanted to yell down, say, hey, give us five minutes, just five minutes. we got to go get a quick cup of coffee. We'll be right back, real quick. There was a, this woman there that with us. I remember her so clearly. She had this British accent. And for some reason, folks with British ac- accents, they sound so much smarter than us Americans. She was watching this story unfold, and she was shaking her head. She was saying, serves them right. They should throw them in jail, knucklehead. She didn't say knucklehead, that's my word, but she was thinking it. Serves him right. Yes, 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 but we've got to save him. All that's true, but we've got to act here with a sense of urgency. This is not the time to debate whether his actions were smart or not. And We all know it was stupid, but us too, we have done stupid things too, haven't we? Jesus commands us to love one another. As he has loved us, love one another. And then he asks us, he goes on further and asks us this pointed question. Do you love me? Do you really love me? Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. And we, <laughs> and we ask even the stupid ones, the ones that jump off cliffs, the ones that break hearts? And Jesus says yes. And then looks us square in the eye and winks, reminding us all that we're all knucklehead sheep. The sense of urgency. You know, when I came to Ike and shared with him my struggle, I was at a breaking point and he knew it and he, shared with, um, and he shared that sense of urgency with the leadership team and they acted on it immediately. In a real sense, my sab- sabbatical rescued this knucklehead sheep. My sabbatical has refreshed me spiritually, emotionally, and physically and I'm ready, I believe I'm ready really to dig into this next season. But I'm not where I want to be totally, yet I'm still a work in process my earthly sabbatical goals to, um, to learn how to juggle, to learn how to play, uh, walk into Memphis on the piano, to lose 10 pounds, um, all external goals. And hopefully I'll get all those down and someday I'll be able to brag to you guys, I got it, I, I did it. But the internal goals, the heart changes, the inner healing, it takes time. Joe Cox, our elder chair, he shared this this past week in our, in our board meeting. He shared the story about bamboo, And how slow some bamboo, um, how slowly it germinates. Um, He said you you plant the seed and it doesn't do anything seemingly on the surface for five years. It doesn't sprout up until the fifth year. During those five years it spreads out the roots and uh, and, and is growing but you don't see anything. And then finally in the fifth year it takes off. September 1st here, I finished my fifth year here. (laughs) Maybe I'll take off as well. In our neighborhood where Cindy and I walk, there's a sign on one of the neighbor's fence posts that reads, Warning, I have issues. And then there's the picture of their dog. I'm going to start walking around here with a sign around my neck that says, Warning, I have issues. Because I have issues too um, control issues, or the please disease issues. Um, I, you know, issues that are personal to me, too personal to share, but know this. I have issues, I have stuff, we all do. This inner stuff, this heart stuff, this transformation stuff that will lead to real change to help me deal with my stuff, it doesn't happen, the change doesn't happen, the transformation doesn't happen in the classroom, it happens in the arena. I'm really glad to be back in the arena with you guys. One of the gifts of sabbatical, we got to go and listen to some live music, Uh, an intimate concert with Amy Grant, a Christian artist up in the mountains, and then a Garth Brooks concert, a crazy concert with 70,000 of our closest friends at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. In both of their shows, they shared stories about urgency. Amy Grant, she had open heart surgery back in June of 2020, unexpectedly, she just came up, the condition came up, and, it, and, and she had to go through this surgery. This, this was her first concert back um, after surgery. It was her first concert back since COVID, and she expressed to us how grateful she was for the opportunity to sing again and perform again. She told us that during the, the afternoon rehearsals and, and sound checks, she kept weeping, overcome with gratitude to do what she felt she was made to do, to sing and perform. And she talked about how she knows she is now in the last third of her life. And now with a sense of urgency that she maybe hadn't felt before, how she still wants to be an impact. That's me too. I'm in the last third too. And I don't want to waste time anymore. I want to be an impact player, whatever that role is. The Garth Brooks concert um, My wife and I were not real big Garth Brooks fans, but we knew he was a great performer, so we went. But the 70,000 folks that we were with, they were big fans, and they knew every song that he sang, and they sang along with him. It was powerful to be there. And one of Garth's songs, it's a powerful ballad. It's called If Tomorrow Never Comes. And it's about urgency and the need to make sure the loved ones in our lives know they're loved before it's too late. If Tomorrow Never Comes. About two songs into the show, um, there's a woman in the front row with a sign that reads, If Tomorrow Never Comes, Cancer Survivor, I'm celebrating that tonight. Here's a person who realizes that we're promised only one day at a time. She knows what a sense of urgency is all about. And Garth Brooks, she sees this woman and stops the show. He scares the heck out of his band because he starts dialoguing with this gal, asks her about her cancer, asking her how she's doing, reminds us all that we're not promised anything more than just today, and then sings that song, If Tomorrow Never Comes, dedicates the song to her. I don't think there was a dry eye in the house. It was holy, it was good church, If Tomorrow Never Comes. As we were driving up in the mountains last week, I saw a sign that I had never really noticed before. It's up near Midturn, the Midturn Leadville exit on I 70. National Mining Museum, 30 miles. And it points you up towards Leadville. And I was thinking, who would go to the National Mining Museum? And it's not just the Colorado Mining Museum, this is the big one. This is the National Mining Museum. And it might be a great museum, I don't know but I was left wondering who would be attracted to it, especially knowing it was 30 miles away still. Show of hands, and you guys online, talk amongst yourselves, how many folks have ever gone to the National Mining Museum up in Leadville? Who would go? Who goes? Colorado School of Mine students to see how it used to be be done? Maybe old retired minors, maybe. They take their grandkids there and talk to them about the good old days and that's how we used to do it and they point to old stuff and old pictures, old ways of doing stuff. It reminded me what I believe is the state of the church and not just our church, but Christ's church, the church universal. For the most part, they tell us in in churches across the country, across the world, in-person attendance, this is declining. Volunteering and serving, declining. Giving, declining. And I love, I love our church. I love this church. I love you people. But many of us are aging. We're getting older, myself included. Like, fi- like fine wine, I may add, but sometime down the road, not too far off, if we get stuck on language or music or rituals that don't mean anything to our younger generations, if we get stuck saying north or south of the clam beds, and that's our only reference, we're going to end up with a road sign that reads National Church Museum, 30 miles. And I'm pretty sure that's not what Jesus had in mind when he said, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Back to our friend getting beat up against the rocks, north or south of the clam beds. Cindy doesn't know that language, but she shares what she does know. Tells them we're opposite this store and near the La Jolla Caves. We'll be right there, stay in the line, and within like two minutes, a sergeant shows up in a lifeguard truck with his lights flashing, parks in the middle of the road, um, We point to the kid, he jumps into action and assesses the situation. Almost at the same time, a lifeguard on an oversized surfboard comes paddling into the cove from one direction. A guy on a jet ski comes from the other direction. The lifeguard by us directs them to the kid, and they get him out of there. Bumps and bruises and beat up for sure, but alive. The lost sheep, the knucklehead sheep, rescued. A friend of mine and a mentor of sorts was sharing with me an experience that he had had about trying to change the culture of an organization, trying to change a culture when there were lots of voices pulling in different directions. All really smart people with the best of intentions, but with all different skill sets and different agendas. And this was not just any organization, this was the Bill Gates Foundation. He worked with Bill Gates and they were trying to do some really cool stuff, helpful stuff, other people focused stuff, impact world stuff. And he shared with me the only shot you have at changing the culture of an organization that 's pulling in different, re- different directions is to find the North Star. and keep reminding folks that's where we 're headed that 's our mission. every meeting, every phone call, every zoom meeting, don 't forget that 's our North star that 's our North star, that 's our North Star. we 've thrown it around here at church some this text from the book of Acts, Acts 242, getting back to the basics. It's what the early church focused on. It was their North Star. And they devoted themselves towards this. They dedicated themselves to this. This was their Olympic athlete event. This was their North Star, Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayer. These were all wrapped in their North, up in their North Star. The apostles' teaching, listening, and retelling the stories of Jesus fellowship, walking with each other on the mountaintops and in the mud and in the mundane, being in community with each other, and I'm reminded over and over and over again, we need to be together in community. We hunger for it. It's in our DNA. The breaking of bread, the sharing of communion that we do here at church, but also meals together, backyard barbecues, potlucks, coffee out of Starbucks. That's where stories are shared and relationships formed. And to prayer, Last one, the most intimate way of reminding ourselves and each other that God's in this and present with us in the whatevers that life throws our way. I need to wrap this up soon before James gives me one of these and turns off the camera. The other morning, Cindy and I went for a long walk and then we came home and did some exercises together, some stretching and stuff. And while we were doing these, I shared with Cindy that I, I smelled like an old goat. Um, I was sweaty and stuff, and Cindy had no comment at first, but then she walks past me and she says, you do smell like an old goat. Um, It's one thing to know it yourself. It's another thing when someone else notices it. This is my personal North Star. I don't want to smell like an old goat anymore, and I think on my own I tend very easily towards old goat smell. I want to smell like Jesus. And not just around here when I'm doing church I want to smell like Jesus when I'm at the grocery store or in traffic or when I'm hiking in the mountains with my sweetie, when I'm all alone and there's nobody else around, I want to smell like Jesus. St. Paul talks about being the aroma of Christ in every place, and that's my challenge, to smell like Jesus in every place. And I think if I can smell like Jesus, maybe, maybe I've got a shot at sharing the gospel with folks, about being the gospel for folks. If you've ever spent some time around a campfire, in about two minutes, we all smell like the campfire. You smell like smoke. I want to hang around the Jesus campfire and smell like him. And Cindy and I were talking about, you know, what does, what does Jesus smell like? What's the, earth, the earthy, earthly smell of Jesus? And Cindy said, it's got to be like cocoa. I'm thinking more like cinnamon. And maybe for some of you guys, it's like freshly baked bread or Chocolate chip cookies. Maybe Jesus smells earthly smells. Maybe he smells like old spice aftershave. I don't know. Sweet smells, some of them, but earthy, earthly smells. I think think this is what Jesus smells like. He smells like love and joy and peace. He smells like patience and kindness and goodness. He smells like faithfulness and gentleness. And lastly, smells like self-control. All things, all things I'm working on. One of my North Star texts for me, the one that got, got a set on my heart during my sabbatical, a verse I've said over and over again on a regular ba- basis to help me, to help me hopefully smell more like Jesus. It's from St. Paul in his letter to the folks in Philippi. And I know there's some language in this text that might sound like north or south of the clam beds. I know that, but this works for me, and as I fuss with it, as I figure it out, I'll share it with you guys. But here's my North Star text from Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ. I want to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Sharing in the fellowship of his suffering, becoming like him, smelling like him, even up to his death. For me, this is how I'm gonna come close to smelling like Jesus. To make Jesus known my life's goal. That's my North Star. As a church, I think our church. I think if our church can smell like Jesus, if our worship and prayers can smell like Jesus, if the words we use and the reference points we share, we can smell like Jesus, no more north or south of the clam beds. If how we welcome folks into this place, into our hearts, if we can smell like Jesus, I think we'll be okay. If you and I can smell like Jesus, if we can pursue this Jesus with all our hearts, I think we will smell like Jesus. God will help us with the details. No church museum sign for us. I love you guys. And I'm so grateful to be back with you, to be able to walk with you, to serve alongside of you. Let's figure out together how we can smell more like Jesus. Jesus loves you guys, and I do too.